0: You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit SpringMidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We're going to open the, uh, the Holy Book, the story we read each year at this time. I'm sure you all have your copies of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, This this is an excellent book uh, by by one Dr. Seuss. Uh, I don't know if you've read it before, but it's the story of, uh, well, I'm not sure if he's a monster or just uh, someone who's kind of crippled by his hatred of joy. Uh, The Grinch, right, who dresses like Santa and robs a lot of people's houses. One of the darker uh, Dr. Seuss characters, I think, that exists. Uh, He breaks in and doesn't just steal all of their presents, but all of the decorations and all of the food in all of the houses. And then he rides up to the top of the mountain so that he can throw all of this off the edge of a cliff, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. (laughs) Three thousand feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it poo poo to the who's. Forgot to mention, the who's are the people in the town. Who's, he was grinishly humping. They are finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's in Whoville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very merry. He stared down at Whoville, the Grinch popped his eyes, then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing, without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming, it came. Somehow or another, it came just the same. So in many ways, the Grinch has destroyed these people's lives, taken all of their food, and still they're singing. And he's confused because he hasn't been able to destroy Christmas. And he's confused, but many of us know why the Whos are singing. This book is about the true meaning of Christmas, right? The true meaning of Christmas. And we know that the true meaning of Christmas is that joy has come into the world that is unconquerable that a light has come into the world in Jesus Christ that is inextinguishable. And life has come in Jesus that is unstoppable. And that is available to you and to me, anybody out there in the world, because that's how good a God we serve. That's the true meaning of Christmas. And so today we're going to talk about something pretty straightforward. Jesus has always been there for you. Jesus will always be there for you. And Jesus is always there for you. Would you turn with me in a Bible if you've got one, or on a phone, which is far more likely. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words won't be on the screen behind me, though. We like people looking stuff up. If you do need a Bible, let me know. Uh, We're going to John chapter 1. John 1, 1. And I'm serious. If you need a Bible, let me know. Uh, We'd like to get you one. We're continuing in a series called Joy to the World talking about joy at Christmas. John 1, starting at verse 1. This is about the Word that became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, And the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus has always been there for you. Jesus was always there for you. If you ever read the Gospels, you'll find that they keep trying to talk about Jesus and give you more context for who he was. And so each one seems to be trying to go back further in the story. They go back to Abraham or to Adam or... In the case of John, before, before, before there was a beginning, before anything existed, John says, Jesus was already around, this mysterious word of God. Um, And there's a lot of ways to understand the fifth verse of our passage, that um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And one way to think about this is in the past. This is talking about who Jesus was long before you and I were ever born. Uh, Long before you were ever born, um, God knew you. And God made you, now, whether you believe in God or not. Uh, we would say that God loves you. Uh, that God made you fearfully and wonderfully. God made you carefully and uh, like a, a work of art or a masterpiece. That's what each and every one of you are like. Uh, that God loves human beings, and that's why God made us. And that so God well decided both what you would look like, uh, but also uh, what your laugh would sound like, and things that you would be good at, and things about your personality that maybe you don't actually know yet. You're sort of hoping you'll discover and unlock as you get to know deeper and deeper and deeper how beautifully and wonderfully you're made. The writer of John is suspicious uh, of us and and how much we really know about who God is. And and so he just sort of starts at the beginning, uh, back where most Jewish readers of the Bible uh, would have picked up on uh, Genesis. In the beginning, right when God creates the heavens and the earth, and the earth is formless and void, there's darkness. And then God speaks a word, let there be light, and there was light. And John is saying that that word in the very beginning, the word that God speaks is Jesus. The sound of God's voice is Jesus. In the very beginning, God made you through Jesus Christ. God made you because he loves you so dearly and so deeply that the life that has come into the world That the life that is in each and every one of us is something that God gives as a gift because he loves us whether we love him back or not. That's how good a God we have. And so some people would say there's no such thing as a truly godless person because he's just too close to us. Because even people who hate him, he loves them. There's just this deep, deep love in the heart of God from the very beginning for you and for me. And all things were created through him, it said, in Jesus. Now, that's a really big claim, that Jesus is both with God and also God, which is one of the weird mysteries that the church talks about from time to time, the Trinity, that there's one God but three persons, and that Jesus really is God. That's one of the things that we would say, and that's a big deal because some people would say, well, Jesus is a really nice religious teacher and he has a lot of good things to say about life and the world, and there are lots of people like that, which is true, and there's lots of wisdom out there, which is true. But one of the unique things about Jesus, John is saying, is that you shouldn't confuse the birth of Jesus with the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has always been there, long before he was born. And yet when Jesus was born, the God of the universe becomes one of us. And that means that Jesus isn't just some religious teacher, he's somebody who has some actual power behind what he says. If he's the God who made the world, he actually knows some things about how the world works. Probably has some thoughts on the way life works when it's lived at its best. That in him is, is life, real life. And that it's always been there for you and for me, always been available for you and for me. And that the God who loves us so much, the God who speaks into the world all that it is, in Genesis, is the God who comes to us in Jesus, uh, and who lives for us and who dies for us on the cross. Uh, because there are moments, right, when we think to ourselves, well, yeah, maybe God made me, but I'm not sure God likes everything about me. I think there are moments when maybe you look in the mirror and you think, well, I'm not the right, I'm not actually that great. Uh, I think the the world in commercials will tell you most of the time that you don't really measure up to an image of what a person should look like. If you look on Instagram for about five minutes, you can feel pretty bad about yourself as a parent or as a business person or as someone who sells any number of products in the world. There's any number of ways, I think, that we can look out in the world and go, I'm not enough and I I don't belong and I'm just not somebody who's lovable and, and who fits. And then if we look back at our stories and we see moments that we're ashamed of and things that we've done wrong and things that will really have made us feel dark and lost, and maybe you're in a season where you feel really dark and lost and in despair right now, it's kind of hard to believe that there is a God out there who loves us and that there is a God out there who cares about us and there is a God out there who made us. And the story of the Bible is very simply this. In your deepest, darkest moments, where you are most ashamed and most afraid, where you truly feel lost and alone and in despair, that at exactly that moment, Jesus picked you. At exactly that moment, Jesus died for you. Sorry. At exactly that moment, Jesus died for you. Whether you like him or not, whether you know him or not, Jesus died for you. At exactly the moment where you feel most unlovable for exactly the things that you are sure nobody would ever like about you if they ever knew. That's when Jesus chose to die for you. The light that was in the world brought all of your darkness on himself. And the incredible thing about the story of Jesus is that the darkness couldn't put out the light. It's an amazing thing. We say that Jesus dies on a cross for you and for me, and that death couldn't touch him. He slipped right through its fingers. So Jesus has always been there for you, always offering life for you, long before you were ever born. Now, there's a guy named Randy Russell who wrote a book many years ago, and he talked about how he loved cars as a kid. Uh, Like, at the age of three, he was talking about the car he was going to buy when he was older. And at the age of six, he was looking in the barn that they had at their property, and he was picturing exactly where he would park his car. And uh, there was, you know, this thing under a tarp, and he was like, we got to get rid of that thing, and then my car can go there. Uh, when he was 10, he was showing his parents pictures in magazines. This is the kind of car, like, this is what I'm going for. And they would laugh and not really pay very much attention. And when he was 15, just a couple of days before he turned 16, uh, he was coming home, and he sees outside the barn, the tarp is all rolled up. He was really excited and he walks into the barn, and he's thinking, maybe they've bought me something. Maybe they just got rid of it because they know where I want to park my car. And right where the tarp had been was a car that had clearly always been there. A 1963 Corvette Stingray. 327, V8, split window, aluminum wheels, red. Anybody's dream car. And it had been there all along, and he just was stunned and speechless, and his dad walks in the door behind him kind of polishing a wrench, and he says, so? You want to go for a drive? Just casually, like, yeah, that's just always been there, and I, I you, this is a, a remarkable surprise that you found yourself walking into. And Jesus has always been there for you. He's been there all along. Now, the life that Jesus is offering has always been there. Now, to a degree we're living it, and to a degree, what we talk about in baptism is that there's something new, something bigger that God has to offer you. As big as the difference between not existing and existing, that's The difference, we would say, happens between people being baptized. The difference between a ghost and a living person. That's the difference between somebody who knows Jesus. That's the kind of life that's being offered to us here and now. And honestly, the people I've been talking to who are getting baptized, each and every one of them this week has been saying things like, yeah, it's weird. It's like God's always been there in my life. Like, looking back, it's like, I met this person. And it's like, come on. And I "Eh, I didn't really want to go. And then I was at this school, and it was I kept feeling like I was being invited into something, and I said, no, come on. And then I was at this church, and it was like people were saying, come on. And then I was working with this guy, and it was like, come on. And I've been praying these prayers since I was a kid, and all of a sudden something just clicked, and I've realized that God has been there for me all along. And many of us who've followed Jesus for a while can actually look back at our lives and go, yeah, that felt really random, and that felt really confusing, that was really strange, and now looking back, it all kind of makes sense. And I don't know that I... I can really explain it, but it just sort of feels like somebody's been writing my story from beginning to end and it 's a great mystery to me, but Jesus has clearly been there for me all along. Jesus was always there for you, uh, Jesus uh, will always be there for you uh, there's again there's more than one way to take verse five, so the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it uh, that 's my translation, but if you 're reading in a different Bible, it might have said the darkness has not overcome it, uh, which is a small difference. And we have to talk about grammar for a second, so just follow me. Uh, I know we all hated that in the seventh grade and we never really got on but uh, has overcome it uh, is a English perfect verb. So it's something that happened in the past that still matters now. Something that has past sort of action but continues in significance and, and keeps kind of meaning something. Even though in Greek, which is the language this was written in, it's not in the perfect. And what happens really is in the first four verses, John is talking and he says that, Well, everything is happening in the past tense, long, long ago, and all of a sudden the light shines in the darkness. The light of Jesus is shining and keeps on shining and and won't ever stop shining in the darkness. And so these English translators are trying to help you to see that it's not that Jesus died a long time ago and that that's over now and it doesn't really matter, but that Jesus is here and now and long into the future overcoming the darkness of the world. The darkness is doing everything it can to put it out, but light by its very nature keeps shining or it ceases to be light. And the light of Jesus is not something that can be put out. And I was talking with a friend about this uh, this week, and uh, just about kind of the Christian view of the world, because he was trying to figure out what it is to believe in Jesus, and he's really interested. I'm really interested, too. And so we were talking about that. And he said, so I just, I don't really understand it. And I said, well, the thing is, um, what, something that's really important to Christianity, like something that's essential to us, is the idea that God is in control of history, at least in the big sense. Really, like, at the very core of what it means to be a Christian is to believe that. He's like, really? I didn't think that that was that important. I hear a lot of other things. He said, yeah, the thing is, it's, it's that God has written the beginning of history and that God's written the end of history and God's moving things toward the end that he's chosen. He said, all right. So that's really what the Christmas season is all about. And then he got even more confused. Uh, and you might be a little confused by that because uh, you've probably heard the phrase Christmas season before. That means something to you? Nods? Okay. Okay. Uh, The Christmas season is the time right after Thanksgiving, right? Before which, if they play Christmas music, we are outraged. But after which, we're fine. Uh, It's the time when the cups change colors at Starbucks. It's the time when Amazon delivery vans fill your neighborhood and it's crazy and you think everyone's going to die. It's the time when music does change on the radio everywhere that we go. And, yeah, it's, it's a time we start using an adjective that I think we all made up a while ago, Christmassy. It's just a made-up word, Christmassy, but yeah, we know what that is. Um, really quick, word association game. Can you shout out words that mean Christmassy to you? Holly jolly. Holly jolly. That's good, actually. Yeah. Red. Jingle bells, there we go. Eggnog. Red. You would. Sorry? Red. Garland. Red. Garland. Tinsel. Cookies. Cookies. There we go, right? Some of the things I've already mentioned. Decorations, setting up the house, oh. hanging out with family. What? Milk, there you go. Eggnog, (laughs) all kinds of delicious beverages and fruits and treats and spending time with people and getting out of the office and suddenly settling down for a little bit with family. All sorts of things that we think of as Christmassy. Christmas lights, there you go. Presents, Presents, bells, there we go. Santa. Santa. These are the things we think of at Christmas. And yet the Christmas season, right, this idea is something that the church has had for a really long time. It's something that the church kind of invented in the 500s A.D., Long before there was an English language, we were talking about the Christmas season. And what we mean by the Christmas season is the same thing we mean when we talk about the season of Lent or the season of Easter. Ordinary time or the season of Advent. Christmas season, that's what this is. At the time when we light candles and we start counting down to Christmas. And what we mean is there are certain things that we talk about in the church at these times of the year that talk about different things in the story of Jesus. And you may have noticed, if you've been here for a couple of weeks, the sorts of things that we've been reading at Christmas are not very Christmassy. If you've been listening, you've been hearing parts of the Bible that say things like, and the boots that have been rolled in blood, and the clothing that's been rolled in blood will be thrown into the fire. Christmassy. That uh, the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and any tree not bearing fruit for repentance will be chopped down. Christmassy. That there will be a son born to us, a child given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. Christmassy. The truth is that the season of Christmas is not just about the coming of Christ so very long ago, but also about the second coming of Christ. That Jesus is coming back. That there is another Christmas that we are waiting for. Which is really connected to some very weird biblical words like Armageddon and Apocalypse and Judgment Day. Not just action movies, but biblical words. (laughs) Christmassy words. At that, Which means that books of the Bible that nobody ever likes to read, because they're super weird and kind of creepy, like Revelation, are extremely Christmassy books of the Bible. uh, With all of its dragons and wars and blood and fire and stars falling out of the sky and the earth melting. Christmassy. Tis the season. Uh, (laughs) Jesus will always be there for you. Why on earth would we talk about this kind of second coming as though it were good news? How on earth could that mean joy to the world? Well, the Bible talks about a day. It says that there will come a day when the the swords and spears and nuclear devices and automatic rifles of this world will be beaten into garden implements, just smashed. There will come a day when the rulers of this world, warlords and presidents and kings and political appointees and Republicans and Democrats, will stand before God, powerless, and the truth will be known, and they will be judged. There will come a day when people will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. There will come a day when the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. There will come a day when people trapped in darkness and despair and misery will finally see a great light and experience hope and joy like they have never known before. There will come a day. There will come a day that children do not die in the streets of preventable diseases and hunger there will come a day when Jesus comes back now that whether you believe in God or not sounds fantastic that's a good day that is a day that we are longing for it's the day that Jesus talks about all the time he calls it the kingdom of God all the time it's a very Christmassy thing the kingdom of God there will come a day At the very end the very very end of the Bible It says, there will come a day when he will wipe sorrow and tears from our eyes. Death will be no more, and we will need no more light, because the presence of God will just be there. It will be so bright that there will be no darkness at all. Jesus will always be there for you. And this gives us hope, but hope always turns to joy. Hope when you truly, really believe that the world will become a different place Not because we're going to work so hard to make it happen, but because God is watching. And little by little, we are counting down and the candles are burning lower. And we are stuck between Christmases, the first one and the second one. And so you and I remember that Jesus is always there for us. Right now, always there for us. Again, verse 5, you can understand it in a variety of different ways. Uh, Your translation might have said that the darkness could not understand it which is a really different way of saying things, rather than did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not understand it. Uh, There's something about Christmas that's sort of hard to understand, even for people who think that they know what it means. Um, Oftentimes, I think the church will be surprised at the Bible itself, at who God really is. At the world outside of us who doesn't really understand Christmas, but does understand that it's about joy. There's so much more that you can understand the deeper you get into Jesus. It's, it's kind of like um, marriage is the only thing is the kind of thing that you only really understand when you're married. Up until then it's just theory. And then you find out, oh, I'm bad at this. Uh, uh, parenting, right? Is the kind of thing that you only really understand in theory. And then suddenly you're like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm also bad at this. This is great. <laughs> this is more my experience, maybe not yours. You might be really good at it. Baptism is the kind of thing that you can only really understand in theory until you finally take the plunge. And then on the other side, you you know something that you didn't know before. You've experienced something you haven't experienced before. Following Jesus is something that you can only really know from the inside, and even then, we're sort of always discovering. Like a light is slowly being turned on in our lives. There's a New Testament scholar, a guy named Tom Wright, and uh, many years ago, he said this, Christmas is not about the living God coming to tell us everything's all right. John's gospel isn't about Jesus speaking the truth and everyone saying, of course. Why didn't we see it before? <laughs> it's about God shining his clear, bright flashlight into the darkness of our world, our lives, our hearts, our imaginations, and the darkness not really comprehending it. It's about God. God as a little child speaking words of truth and no one knowing what he's talking about. The Grinch does not understand Christmas. Earlier in the story, it says that his heart maybe was two sizes too small. I know what that feels like, actually. Little by little, God is growing my heart a bit and a bit. And he's just shocked, absolutely shocked, that there are people who can sing even when everything has been taken away from them. Because he can't actually take away the joy of Christmas because the joy of Christmas is rooted in something that, well, the world can't really touch in the life and death and person and work of Jesus Christ. I know why the Whos sing. You know why the Whos saying. They have seen something in Jesus. Yeah, maybe. It's Dr. Seuss. But I think they've seen something in Jesus. Something truly amazing and remarkable. And the Grinch just doesn't understand it, can't wrap his head around it. And suddenly seeing them for the first time really experience joy that doesn't make sense, starts to push the Grinch to think in different ways. It says that his heart grew three sizes that day, and he starts racing down the mountain on his sled, blowing a trumpet, very ungrinch like at the end. He hangs out at the feast. The experience of following Jesus, I think, little by little, is like that. I, uh, the other day, I was putting up Christmas lights on my house, which I have not done in years, um, actually ever, because I'm, I'm too much of a Grinch and a curmudgeon, and I uh, got out a ladder and was putting things up and was thinking, my non-Christian neighbors have put up Christmas lights. I actually believe in Jesus. I can at least put up the lights. These people understand joy more than me. And halfway through, I'm super annoyed and angry. And just bitter at the hammer and the drill and everything that's not really working my way. And uh, somewhere, uh, it was a few more strands of lights down the way. I started thinking about the, the light that's come into the world. Uh, and that God is really good to me. And that God has been good enough to my neighbors that even they recognize this joy and that maybe that should convict me a little bit as I'm looking at lights and thinking about my own darkness. And thankfully that the, the light actually overcame the darkness in that moment in me, right? My, my heart grew a little bit that day. And that Jesus, right, is someone who's always there for us if we're willing to listen and pay attention and can slowly and steadily transform our hearts and our lives and our minds. Jesus is there for us actually in the midst and in the place of darkness, um, There's a guy named Gary Hagen who runs a ministry called International Justice Ministry, and they they free people from slavery all over the world. Slavery is alive and well in the world. It's unfortunate. And they do everything they can in the world to to save people and set people free from this. And at one point, he he set a woman free whose name was um, Jyoti, who'd um, been kidnapped as a slave and forced into a life of sexual slavery and had written Psalm 23 above her bed on the ceiling. And she'd never really known Jesus. She'd just heard this from somebody else who was also a slave and The words sounded like hope to her. And so she believed in this God, even though she didn't really know who this God was. And one day when she'd been set free, she said, I knew that you would come. Because the God that I've been reading about, I knew that you would come. Jesus is always there for you, no matter how dark, no matter how terrible the situation. He's one of the few people, I think, that can offer us hope in the midst of a miserable and dark situation. And this actually leads me to one other place that some friends of mine have talked about There are some people who work with people in the pornography industry to try and talk to them about Jesus and talk about the life that they're living and how it's not really great for them. Pornography, I think we can agree, is a bad thing. Uh, But people who are stuck in that industry are often stuck in that industry. And they usually feel like no one ever could love them and nobody ever would really welcome them in. And so people who want to talk to them about Jesus are just confusing. Uh, And so some friends of mine uh, go uh, to places where people who work in the industry are working in the industry, and and they'll talk about Jesus. And they'll... uh, hand them Bibles, and they'll have long conversations about how there's a God who loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done. And often, the people they get the most grief from are the Christians. Inexplicable to me. And the thing that they usually say when the church goes, you shouldn't go into places like that, you shouldn't be around people like that, it's just, it's going to somehow, the darkness will overcome you. They will consistently say, what is light for if not darkness? What is light for if not darkness? There's no overcoming the light of Jesus Christ. Can't be done. He's unstoppable. They tried to kill him. Didn't work. There's no stopping Jesus Christ. I am certain that Jesus Christ is coming back. Absolutely. And you and I, we find ourselves stuck between Christmases, between the one that happened so very long ago and the one that is happening long in the future. And we find ourselves thinking very Christmassy thoughts this season, which don't necessarily reflect the way that the world thinks about it, and yet are so wrapped up in joy that, that we really love the way that the world thinks about it. The true meaning of Christmas, really, is that Jesus was always there for you. Jesus will always be there for you. And Jesus is always there for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you.